it is good to get a preach again. Yeah, I've enjoyed the last couple of weeks and our guest speakers, but I'm chomping at the bit to get back and doing this again. Thank you for your patience as I've been working on some messages. And today I want to talk to you about what I am convinced is the most important thing we could ever talk about as Christians, as a church, as people who strive to have a godly influence on the world around us. It it has the power to change hearts. It has the power to change lives, to change families, to change churches, communities, even to change the whole world. And it can take you from the mess of your life, the mess that you have created, the mess that you have been thrown into, the mess that you have inherited, the mess that you have stumbled into, and lift you to a place Where you not only know God's presence, but you know God's power, His power to heal you, His power to forgive you and change you from the inside out into a person of amazing promise, amazing peace. I'm talking about the transforming power of the grace of God, God's touch of love, the the wonder of His devotion to you. And while the Bible is full of passages that point to this incredible gift, I want to take you to just one, and I want to demonstrate for you what the transforming power of God's grace did for a church, for a group of Christians in the first century, and what I believe that it can do right here, right now, for you and me today. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 19 through 21, if you're using those Bibles in the pews, it is page 970, and we encourage you to to turn and follow along. 2 Corinthians 12, I'm going to begin in verse 19. This is Paul wrapping up his thoughts to this church in Corinth. He says in verse 19, Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It's in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. And for all your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish. That you may find me not as you wish. That perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality they have practiced. I have a confession to make. I, uh, I misled you sermon's not about grace. If I had told you what this sermon was about, you might have shut me out. (laughs) You might not have shown up. This sermon, sorry, this sermon is actually about gossip. But you see, if I had told you that I was going to preach about gossip, some of you wouldn't have come. Some of you would have gotten really defensive And some of you would have invited your friends because you have told me in confidence that your friends have problems with gossip. 
So first of all, let me try to alleviate any discomfort there might be with this topic. Over the last three weeks, I have been working on a series of sermons, which we'll start next week, on 1 Peter. I am really excited about that. I needed a little extra time to get into 1 Peter, and I wanted to start it off at the beginning of the month, so I thought we'll just have to have a buffer sermon. I call them buffer sermons between series. And I got to looking through my notes, and I found notes from five years ago that I had started a sermon about gossip. Now, five years ago is enough time. I have no idea what was going on that I wrote that sermon. I have no idea what was happening that might have inspired, if anything, if, if anything, I may have just been going through my Bible and I found something. I thought, well, here are some thoughts, and I wrote them down. So there is no current issue that has inspired this message other than this. The reality, we are all flawed individuals. That, that we all are sinful. We are all prone sin, and that gossip is one of the most insidious sins of all. Do you understand insidious? It means it sneaks in, and you don't even recognize it at first. And before you're aware, it infects you. It infects your speech. It infects the way that you think about others. Gossip becomes such a part of who we are that we don't really take it seriously. We know it's wrong. We know it's wrong. But our ears tingle and our lips are excited to tell. And we say things like, I know I shouldn't say this, but and we pass the news on. We, we kind of wink and we, we giggle about it. And I, I've been reading through the Bible, and, and God says a lot about gossip. And you know what God never does? He never winks. And he never giggles when he talks about gossip. You can go all the way back. You can go all the way back to Leviticus. There's some heavy stuff in Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 19. I mean, there's some heavy stuff in chapter 19. Leviticus 19, verse 16. God says, You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. He defends that command. By his very existence. You flip over a few pages. You go into Proverbs. Proverbs says a lot about gossip. Just one quick little sample in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 13. Proverbs 11, 13 says, Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. You can flip over to the New Testament. There's this passage in Romans chapter 1 that has always just bugged me. I mean, it's, it's amazing and it bothers me that it's here. But in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 28, Paul, speaking of uh, how humanity has degraded since the fall, how we have all uh, slipped into sin since the fall of man, he starts out in verse 28 and he says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, 
foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's decree from Leviticus chapter 19, that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That, that passage has already always bothered me. There's a lot of big no-nos in that passage. Murder is in that passage. God hate God haters is in evil, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents is in that passage. Right there in the middle of it all is gossip. What does that tell you? Does God take gossip seriously? Should we take gossip seriously? I think what we really need to do is get God's perspective on gossip. Why does God not tolerate gossip? Why should we not tolerate gossip? There's some pretty big reasons. So let me start off with what I think is the biggest, what I think is the granddaddy reason of all why we should not tolerate gossip, and that is that gossip puts us in the role of Satan in other people's lives. Gossip puts us in the role of Satan in other people's lives. There's something I really want you to notice in this passage from 2 Corinthians. This little passage, and we're going to go on into chapter 13 in just a little bit, but this little passage that I just read for you, three times, three times in that passage, Paul admits to being afraid. Three times Paul says, I'm afraid. This is the same guy who in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but instead has given us a spirit of power and love and self-control. So Paul, who has not been given a spirit of fear from God, is afraid. What's he afraid of? What's he afraid of for? He's afraid of something that stands in contradiction to God's power, to God's love, and to the self-control that ought to be an inherent part of a Christian. He's afraid that this church and the believers won't be identified with Christ, but rather by their sin. He's afraid that perhaps there might be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. He's afraid of rather than coming to them in joy and fellowship, he is going to have to come to them with correction and with confrontation. What's he afraid of finding? Again, verse verse 20, quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. It's a very telling list. It's a list that we all could be guilty of. It's, it, they are sins that point to bad relationships. They are sins that point to disorder in the church, sins that point to a lack of peace, a lack of respect. And right there in the middle of that list is gossip, being fed by the sins that come before it and feeding the sins that come after it. Gossip is right there at the center of it. It is contrary to what the church should be doing it is contrary to the health of the church it is contrary to the character of christ and therefore it is contrary to the character of a christian so if gossip is not of christ then who gossip 
puts us in the role of Satan in the lives of other people. In Revelation chapter 12, there's this story about this terrifying war that's going on. I mean, it's got a dragon in it and angels, and there's all kinds of battles taking place. And finally, the angels defeat the dragon, and the dragon is cast down. The dragon is defeated, and John hears the declaration of victory. And listen to this declaration of victory. This is from Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. Did you hear the name that he gave Satan there? He is the accuser of the brothers. The accuser. What's he accused them of? He accuses them of sin. He accuses them of their faults. He accuses them of their mistakes. He accuses us of our unworthiness of the cross, of our unworthiness of the blood of Christ. He rehashes and rehearses our sins before God, never letting them die, never letting them heal, never leaving them alone. Guess what? That's gossip. That's what gossip. How does that make you feel? How does that make you feel to know that Satan stands before God and gossips about you? You know, that, that might make you feel kind of special. I'm worth mentioning. Satan stands before God and he, he gossips about you. He goes up to God and he says, I probably shouldn't say this, but do you know what they did? He calls God up. Says, well, there's been some. He rehearses your sins before God. Paul was afraid. The Apostle Paul was afraid for the believers in Corinth that they would become known by their sins. Quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder that they would not be identified with Jesus, but that they were identifying themselves with Satan. They were doing his work for him. And Paul feared for what this was going to do to the mission of the church, the reputation of the church, the effectiveness of the church, and ultimately what it would do for their salvation. So number one, gossip puts us in the role of Satan. It, is, it has us doing his work for him. Another reason God doesn't tolerate gossip, and we shouldn't either, is because gossip leads to more gossip. Paul, uh, Paul uses a word for gossip. The word that Paul uses in Greek, not that there's going to be a test over this later, but the word that Paul uses in Greek is the word psitherismus. You hear it? It, it means whisperings. It's also, this is interesting, it's also the word that they use to describe the, the act of snake charm. If you were speaking to a snake, you would speak to the snake with That's a little telling, isn't it? Secret slander is what it means. Not information that's going to be shared out loud. Not information that will be proclaimed in courts. It is gossip. Do you want to know what my least favorite form of gossip is? I mean, I don't like any gossip. But this is my least favorite 
maybe this has happened to you. Maybe you've done this. I know I've done it before. I confess to you today, I've done it. My least favorite form of gossip. Uh, I got a, got a prayer request I need to share with you. Something that I'm not supposed to tell, but there's something you need to be praying about. It's not about me. <laughs> you ever hear that? You ever have someone bring you a prayer request, and halfway through the prayer request, you realize I'm listening to gossip? There's an old saying. I don't remember exactly how it goes, but there's this old saying. You can put lipstick on a pig. It's still a pig. You can dress gossip up to sound like a prayer request. It's still gossip, and you know in your heart, you know in your spirit that it's not right. It's shameful. It is shameful. Prayer is a privilege that we would that we would abuse it. You know, Paul, Paul tells the Romans, he says that we don't always know how to pray, and, and so instead the Spirit intercedes for us with groans that we cannot understand. If you've got to just groan, that's prayer. You know, if you don't know how to pray for someone, you don't need all the information. The If your God requires you to know every little detail about someone's life before you pray for them, you're not praying to the same God I'm praying to. That clear? Okay. Gossip leads to more gossip. Prayer, the goal of prayer is to see God working in someone else's life. The goal of gossip is gossip. In other words... There's nothing redemptive about gossip. It does not lead to growth. It does not lead to change. Gossip does not lead to Christ-like behavior, either in you or in the other person. Part of the problem is that gossip is easy. I mean, we're just passing on information. We're just telling people what we heard. You know, it, maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's real. The redemption, redemption, seeking Seeking change in other people, seeking the best for them, seeking the image of Jesus Christ to be reborn within them, within their character, within their heart. That, that is hard work. And honestly, having been a part of that, that process of confronting sin with the goal of redemption, confronting sin with the goal of seeing people being brought closer to the image of Christ, it can be heartbreaking. More often than not, I'm afraid, it's heartbreaking. But it is necessary, and it seeks the very best for that other person. It seeks the very best for everyone involved. I want you to hear that in Paul's words. Paul continues on into chapter 13. I want you to hear just these first four verses. Listen to how he continues on. He goes on and he says, this is going to be the third time I'm coming to you. This is the third time I'm coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warned them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me. But he is not weak in dealing with you and is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we are also weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Paul was coming to confront sin. 
not to gossip about sin, but to confront sin. I want you to notice, gossip, very seldom does gossip come in the form of two or three witnesses. Very seldom do you get gossip with two or three witnesses, and and even if you do, if the goal is not to confront and to change, it is still gossip. Paul speaks of Jesus, and he says, He is powerful among you. When we withhold transformation, when transformation is not our goal in someone else's life, we negate the power of Christ in their lives, in our lives, in others, and in our community. And so instead, Paul goes on and he picks up there in verse 5 and he tells the Corinthians, and I tell you, examine yourselves to see whether you are, not, you are in faith. Test yourselves. Or you, do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. And I hope that you find out that we have not failed the test, but we pray to God that you may not do wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. But we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. Do you hear that? Your restoration is what we pray for. Can we say that? Or if we were honest, would we say, well, your sin is what we gossip about. (laughs) Sorry, we really hadn't thought about restoration much. I've been known to stop people in in mid-gossip. I've been known to stop people and simply say, there is nothing of Christ in what you're saying. I'm sorry, but there is nothing of Christ in what you're saying. And I I hope that doesn't sound harsh. You know, there's times in my life when I wish someone had done that for me. I invite you to do that. I give you permission. If you catch me, I invite you to simply say, Brett, there's nothing of Christ in what you're saying. If our goal is not to see the image of Christ perfected in others, then we do not share Jesus' goal. We don't share the goal of the cross. If our goal is not to see the image of Christ perfected in others, we're not going along with what he died for. We're not doing his work. Whose work are we doing? Gossip puts us in the role of Satan. Gossip simply leads to more gossip. It never gets better. And finally, God doesn't tolerate gossip, and neither should we, because gossip gossip ignores the work of the Holy Spirit. There's a story in the Old Testament. Prophet Samuel went to Jesse's house. God told him, go to Jesse's house. I'm going to, you're going to anoint one of Jesse's sons as king. So Jesse lines up his sons in front of Samuel. Samuel looks at him, and there's Jesse's son, Eliab, and he is tall, he is commanding, he is strong, and he is handsome. And, and Samuel said, well, obviously this is the one. This is the guy. And God spoke to Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, and said, do not, do not look on his appearance or on his height, the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God, but the Lord, looks on the heart. And God had chosen David, the youngest, the smallest, so young that it wasn't even worth lining him up 
awkward little David, pimply-faced little David, God had chosen him to be king. God saw something in him that, that Samuel, that his own father, couldn't see from the outside. And God continues to see our hearts. We continue to be blind to that for people. We continue to be blind to what's in the heart. So that's, Jesus promised us the continuing presence of his Holy Spirit. Okay, he promised after he left, he would send the Holy Spirit. What was the Holy Spirit to do? What is the Holy Spirit to do? Well, in John chapter 16, verse 8, Jesus says, and when he comes, when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So among other things, it is the Holy Spirit's job to convict us of sin and to lead us towards righteousness, towards Christ-like behavior. That's the problem with gossip. Sometimes gossip is true. Sometimes it's partially true. Sometimes it really happened. But it is always just what we see from the outside. It's never what's going on in the heart. And gossip is always about what has happened. Nobody gossips about what's going to happen next week. Nobody gossips about tomorrow. They always gossip about what has happened. It's never about where God is leading next. Maybe gossip was true at one time. What about now? Do you know if that person's been convicted of what they did? Do you know if they've repented? Do you know if God's forgiven them yet or not? We love the love chapter. We love 1 Corinthians 13. I read it at a wedding yesterday. I read it at almost every wedding. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us so much. Love is patient. Love is kind. Then you get to verse 5. Love keeps no record of wrongs. 1 Corinthians 3, 5. Love keeps no record of wrongs. And we cling to that and still gossip. Can we cling to that for ourselves and still drag up the past about other people and throw it in their faces and talk about it? We can't do that if we claim to know love. If we, if we can't do that and claim to know Christ. We can't do that and claim to know the presence of the Holy Spirit. Let me... Here's the one sentence. <laughs> God did not entrust you with the presence of His Holy Spirit so that you could badmouth others and deny His work in their lives. Let me say it one more time. God did not entrust you with the presence of His Spirit so that you could badmouth others and deny His work in their lives. God looked at David. He knew his heart. He knew he was going to be the king that he needed. He also knew that that little simply-faced kid would grow up and would do some very bad things. When God chose David, he knew about Bathsheba. He knew about the blood stains on, on David's hands. God chose him anyway. God saw a hothead named Peter, and he knew that this would be the rock that he would build, uh, use to, to build his church. He saw a troublemaker, a troublemaker. He saw an instigator. 
named Saul of Tarsus, and he knew that this would be the apostle that would write things like, oh, the love chapter, and who would bring the gospel to a whole new world, to a whole new people. He looks at you. He looks at me. He knows our failings. He knows our mistakes. He chooses us anyway for this time, for this place. If we can trust him with that for ourselves, then we can trust him with that for the people that we've gossiped about. We can trust that he has a plan for him, and we can choose to honor the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. I've misled you just a little bit. I'm really sorry, but this sermon's really not about gossip. I only told you that because I knew it would get your attention. This sermon's not really about gossip. This sermon is actually about, well, it's about the transforming power of the grace of God. Paul continues to write to the Corinthians. These people had screwed up. They had made some big mistakes. They had sinned. They had gossiped. And Paul continues to write to them, and he comes to the end of the letter. Skip on down to verse 11, and look what he tells these, this church full of gossiping people. He tells them in verse 11, Finally, brothers, rejoice. First of all, he calls them brothers. Rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. Grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. After all they had done, after all the hurt they had caused each other, after all the hurt they had caused the Apostle Paul, for him to, to, to be afraid, what does he say? Aim for restoration. It's not too late. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another in, the, in your sins. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. Well, how is that even possible? Verse 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I have three things I'm going to say about gossip. Don't practice it. Don't tolerate it. Don't honor it. Don't practice it. Don't tolerate it. Don't honor it. It is quite an easy thing to say, I am not going to listen to this. It is quite a godly thing to say, I'm sorry but I can't hear Jesus in what you're saying right now. That really doesn't sound like something Christ would say. Could you say something in a different way that would enable me to hear the love of Christ? Passage after passage, we see that God does not tolerate it, that it destroys his church. I don't know how to say it any clearer. I don't know how to say it any kinder. Just don't do it. So what are you going to do instead? Because you've got to talk about something. Let me give you a couple of passages 
Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Paul says to the Philippians, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, sometimes things are true, but they're still not honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what's great about that passage is that that's a command, by the way. And what's great about it is it comes in the middle of a passage where two women in the church in Corinth weren't getting along with each other. Or not, not Corinth, Philippi. They weren't getting along with each other. And I guarantee you, people were talking about it. Paul tells them not to get caught up in those things. And the issue for us becomes, don't just think these things for yourself. Think them for other people. Can I think of something honorable for someone else? Can I think of something lovely for them? One of my favorite passages on this topic, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Are the words you're saying building up or are they destroying? Are they building up or destroying reputations? Are they building up or destroying families? Are they building up or destroying relationships? Are they building up or destroying souls? But overall, of, of all the things that you can either do positively or avoid negatively, it really just comes down to this. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And so I would simply ask you this. One question that you can answer from your heart. Are you so in love with the grace of God? Are you so in love with the grace of God that you will allow it to transform how you speak about others? How you think about others? How you love others? Will you extend its amazing power beyond your own life and into the lives of others? I am seeking searching for the things this world has rejected. The things that are broken, that are flawed, thrown away and discarded. I seek the lost, the damaged, the forgotten things, the overlooked and the neglected. The things that have been pushed aside and left behind. Why? Why do I do this? Why chase after that which is despised by so many? It is because I have chosen the rejected. I bring restoration to the broken. I see beyond the flaws and the imperfections, and I bring new life to the lost. This world has called them useless and garbage, hopeless and unwanted. They have been scarred, abused, ignored, and unloved, but I, I have reclaimed them, and they belong to me now. 
They are my masterpiece, and I have a plan and a future for every single one. For I am crafting these dissonant and discarded pieces into something beautiful. damaged people in our church. There are broken and damaged people in our community. The last thing they need is for us to tell them that they're broken and damaged. No, wait. The very last thing they need is for us to tell other people that they're broken and damaged. What they need for us to do is to believe in a God who could make them into something does that through His grace. If God's grace is just about me and not about someone else, then it's not amazing. It's not worth singing about. And it's not worth believing in. What makes it amazing is that it's for everyone. Will you believe in His amazing grace for someone else? Will you speak of them with His amazing grace? Please stand as we sing.